0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, November fifth, two thousand twenty-one. I'm Caleb Brown. The FDA has a massive impact on our food supply, but it's not clear that the agency's statutory mandate is something it can or necessarily should execute. Economist Richard Williams is author of "Fixing Food," and FDA Insider unravels the myths and the solutions. We spoke this week. You were, as far as you know, as far as anyone knows, uh, the first economist at the FDA, which seems kind of surprising, really, that that, uh, an agency with that much scope would not have economists at least attempting to inform their decisions about uh, regulation. So why uh, did it take the FDA so long to get some economists in there?
1: Well, I think it was because, like all regulatory agencies, they had to be forced into doing it. And what forced them originally was Jimmy Carter's executive order. Uh, saying that we had to look at the benefits and costs of uh, our big regulations. And then, obviously, President Reagan came in, and he doubled down on that and said, not only do I want you to look at the benefits and costs, I want benefits to exceed costs. And he put in OIRA, Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, to oversee all those regulations.
0: Give us a sense of the contours of the FDA's powers over Americans' food.
1: Well, of course, as you know, it's not just food. Um, FDA does regulate 80% of pretty much of all foods. It's all foods with the exception of meat and poultry and some eggs. Those are regulated by USDA. Uh, And in terms of their scope and power, FDA has been called the most powerful regulatory agency in the
0: world. So what does that look like for products that we purchase off the shelf?
1: So a lot of the products that you purchase off the shelf uh, are pre-approved. So in the food arena, that would be all food and color additives, including things that go in like the new proteins, for example. But then they also have the post-market regulations. And in foods, that's the bulk of what they do, as opposed to drugs, which is all pre-market approval.
0: So uh, I guess with a powerful regulatory agency like that, what do we not understand about the degree to which and and it, it, feel free to include any specifics how the FDA's regulatory authority has actually altered our food supply.
1: Well, it's altered it in many ways. I think one of the ways that, and this is the one that concerns me most is that a lot of the regulations that FDA has don't actually work. Uh, so for example, in the last uh, well over a decade FDA has been going to Congress once a year and saying One out of six people are getting sick from food poisoning. You need to increase our budget, which Congress usually does. Uh, And yet uh, they say the same thing year after year and nothing gets done. In the meantime, uh, firms are busy following FDA regulations, which takes them away from doing things that they might be doing to make their food safe. Like what? Well, so, for example, FDA inspects food plants an average of once every six years. Food manufacturers inspect themselves in some cases weekly. They either hire people to inspect them or they bring in other people to inspect them. And when I talk to food manufacturers and how they react, to particularly the big FDA regulations, they say, we have to invest time and resources to comply with those regulations, even though we know for our particular plants, they're not going to help at all. So this is a type of risk-risk analysis. They know what makes their problems, uh, their, their uh, foods have problems, and those are the things that they want to focus on.
0: So, uh, foodborne diseases. You mentioned uh, that this happens every year uh, to millions of Americans. You note in your book that uh, the FDA told Congress uh, in their 2011 budget request that 48 million people get foodborne diseases each year. That hasn't really changed, and as you note, uh, food producers uh, are inspecting themselves uh, more regularly than the FDA can, and it's it it's really uh to hear to hear you tell it it really is an impossible task one where the public receives this assurance of uh perhaps dubious quality that the FDA can uh execute on its mandate to engage in these kinds of inspections and then uh the the downside is that they cannot possibly make good on that assurance given their well given perhaps even just The nature of the agency.
1: Yeah, uh, the way I look at it is, you know, FDA is our oldest public health uh, organization, and they're still looking at problems as though it's 1906 when FDA was formed. And back then, the problem was there were filthy plants, um, as was identified in the jungle, with rats running over meat. And manufacturers were intentionally adding poisons to to foods to make them look better or last better. Uh, And so regulations were the answer. Clean up the plants and make uh, food companies stop adding intentional poisons. That Those aren't our problems today. Today, our problems are ubiquitous pathogens like E. coli and salmonella, and the fact that we have 42% of our population being obese,
0: and that's expected
1: to go to 50% by 2030.
0: Has FDA regulation made food better or worse?
1: It depends on when you're talking about. Originally, what FDA did, when those problems were big and obvious and the solutions were big and obvious, FDA did Forced plants to clean up. In addition, uh, in the 1920s, one of the big problems was milk. And if you recall, in the old days, milk was simply it went out on a wagon that was unrefrigerated. It was left on somebody's porch, and it was just warm or almost hot the whole day. So, milk was a huge problem back around that time. FDA brought in pasteurization, and that was a gigantic improvement in food safety. And pasteurization for all products was a gigantic improvement. But that was then, and this is now. Uh, and FDA has kind of run out of solutions. However, the good thing is, even though FDA has run out of solutions, innovators around the world are coming up with better
0: solutions. What about food labeling? FDA controls the uh, what is required in terms of disclosures about what goes on a food label? Yeah,
1: uh, FDA, again, for the products that they regulate, which is everything but meat and poultry, and then the rest is uh, USDA. USDA. But we've had food labeling now for 30 years. And for 30 years, we've been saying if we could just educate consumers into how to use this food label, everything will be wonderful. Well, 30 years later, consumers are just as confused as they were when we first introduced it. All the education in the world hasn't changed. And point of fact, it's so complex, almost every American says they don't know how to use it. And my favorite quote was from a survey when somebody said, trying to figure out what to eat is harder than doing your own taxes.
0: So what what does that look like? Because I know there are these intense fights over what uh, producers have to include on their label. Uh, they lobby to avoid including uh, this versus that product on their label.
1: Yeah, I mean, there have been intense fights right from the beginning. Um, clearly, they're concerned about what's in the label because they know people aren't exactly food safety, excuse me, savvy. Um, and uh, so they're they're worried about it. Uh, trans fatty acids was a huge fight, um, but as it turns out, this is not the real problem. Consumers don't understand it anyway. Uh, one of the fights is over health claims. Manufacturers love to have health claims on their food label, and the problem with health claims is it creates a halo effect. If a consumer sees a health claim on the front of the package, they assume that whatever that claim is. That means that overall the food is good, where it might be good for one aspect and bad for 10 others.
0: Yeah, I can recall uh, in the in the 90s, mayonnaise producers started putting labels on their products that said cholesterol free. And I thought, well, okay,
1: (laughs) that's just part of uh, nutrition. So there was a point at which and certainly when we introduced the food label, uh, dietary cholesterol was a real concern today. Uh, that science has been pretty much reversed. We're only concerned about the cholesterol you make in your body, but not dietary cholesterol.
0: Uh, so inevitably, uh, food labeling, uh, food regulation—what can be produced and what can't be produced—ultimately is political. Uh, who are the the major players when it comes to setting the rules? That is attempting to, in a sense, capture the FDA uh, industry, attempting to capture the FDA. Uh, Who are the big players there and what impact have they had on how the FDA does its work?
1: Well, obviously, um, just like other regulatory agencies, FDA is um, generally does what large industry wants, not always, uh, but particularly when there's a chance to exclude their smaller competitors. And I detail one of the stories about this uh, when we did the seafood um, safety rule. Uh, large manufacturers wanted the rules applied to everybody, even though they were incredibly expensive, uh, very detailed, and smaller plants n- didn't necessarily need those rules. Nevertheless, FDA caved and said the rules applied to everyone. And I just detailed one manufacturer from New England um, that FDA completely hounded out of business. She made smoke fish. She'd never had a single problem ever in the history of her product. Um, but eventually, the she had to pay for all the inspections and she couldn't take it anymore and uh, had to close down her plant.
0: You mentioned the regulatory capture—the idea that uh, industry can affect that large players in an industry can effectively increase costs for competitors. Um, you, broadly speaking, how have we seen that shape our food supply? I can I can imagine a, a local farm that sells, you know, a, a certain amount of a product a year just within their community or or uh, in their surrounding area. Uh, not being able to comply with some of those uh, regulations. How, you know, to what extent has that affected small producers?
1: Well, the problem is, is that we don't track it. So I happened to find this one woman because she called me and she said, I just want to tell you my story. But small plants go out of business and we never know about it. I know when um, I, I studied what happened when we put in the inspectors in USDA meat plants, About 15% of the plants went out of business. That was just one study somebody did. But in general, we just don't look at that. And unfortunately, these are people their entire life has been invested in these food companies, and, and we don't know about it. I know when I went to interview people for the food label when we were putting it on, I did talk to a lot of small manufacturers. And the stories there just literally got to me. The one woman who made jam, she said, if you make me do this, I will lose my business. And if I lose my business, my husband, as he's been telling me all along, said I don't have a head for business. I have to get back in the kitchen. He'll tell me it's my fault. I and I I couldn't I couldn't hack it. And she goes, please help me out. Please don't make me put this food label on. Um, and so we, I went back to Washington and was able to work and get a small business exemption, which hopefully helped her and she could keep her business
0: for. Reforming or getting rid of the FDA? Certainly in this, in this time of COVID, there are a lot of people who are uh, wondering precisely what, our, what good our public health agencies are. Um, what, Short of getting rid of the agency entirely, what do you see as a reasonable uh, way of reforming how they do what they do or getting them out of this business or that business?
1: well i'd like to see fda uh, stop doing regulation stop just producing regulations year after year when they don't have a solution uh, i'd like to see more pilot programs before they do anything like that but in particular something that would really help right now is for fda instead of b- being seen as an adversary to all these new innovations coming along be seen as a partner helping get some of these these products to market again when we have 48 million people getting ill from food poisoning every year we have maybe four to five hundred thousand people dying of chronic diseases associated with diet. I think it's time for FDA uh, to get on board and help these products get to market.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the sort of the, the trade off that FDA is not is probably loathe to uh, engage with directly. That is, uh, one, they shape our food supply that may contribute to uh, diet diet related uh, illnesses. Uh, and people who get foodborne illnesses from the products that FDA is supposed to be or has a mandate to to regulate that that's a trade-off that they're not willing to engage in um so where do who should be making that trade-off
1: well for a start it's got to be congress congress sets the rules uh congress really needs i believe to take a hard look at FDA and say let's look at some of these laws particularly some of the old ones for example uh, this is just one example FDA spends a lot of time on food standards Uh, Food standards, that law was passed in 1938 to keep foods like mother used to make. Well, mothers don't make foods anymore. And yet today they're spending, they've already spent two years, over two years, trying to decide whether almond milk should be called milk, as though that's confusing anybody.
0: You know, Charles Murray years ago had this idea uh, related to supplements, and there's no reason it couldn't be applied to food, which was just put a label on it that says, FDA has nothing to do with this product, and uh, you, if you buy it, it's caveat emptor. Uh, if you buy it and get sick, well, that's, that's for you and maybe a, a tort claim, but it's not for uh, uh, the FDA to, to be involved there. What do, you, what do you make of that idea in terms of, in a sense, putting consumers back in charge, but also making them bear that risk more obviously?
1: i I remember that idea. I loved it. I thought it was a great market experiment. We could have a small section of the market that was not FDA approved and see whether that segment increased or decreased. I think that's an excellent experiment to have. In um, point of fact, you know, FDA is not keeping your food safe. I love it when however, there's a potential government shutdown. That's the very first thing people say, oh, my God, FDA is not going to be there to keep our food safe. In point of fact, like I say, they inspect foods an average of once every six years and I used to tell students, that's like telling your kid to keep your room clean. And I'm going to be back once every
0: six years to make sure you're doing it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, well, you know, as we, we began this conversation, I mentioned that FDA has this very broad mandate at, and the, the manner in which they undertake these uh, inspections of uh, food producers is, as you said, not, you know, on par with telling your kid to clean his room and checking on him every six years. Uh, but there, there is this fundamental mismatch between FDA, their powers, and the FDA's abilities to actually engage with this. And it just seems to me that, that we're doing consumers a, a, a tremendous disservice by compelling a lot of this spending by companies that produce food uh, while FDA can't follow through on the thing it is expected to do.
1: No, I I think that's exactly right and that's why I'm not in favor of um you know giving FDA more funding that's what you're going to hear every year I'm in favor of FDA focusing on things that they're they can actually be good at. Let me just give you one example. Uh, as I said, people don't understand nutrition labels, but all around the world there are people that are inventing Fitbit-like devices that will say, "Let's look at your genetics. Let's look at your microbiome, your health status." your exercise, whether you smoke or not, and also what foods you like. And ultimately, they're going to make recommendations. Here is what I think you should eat for your meal. And you won't have to track anything. It will track the foods. And it takes away all that confusion about diet disease relationships and tracking and so forth. So that's one of the things that I would like to see FDA help with. Here's how they could help. In order for those things to work, they need some kind of an indicator as to what's going on when you eat. For example, maybe a glucose monitor, they have those already, that says you're getting glucose spikes when you eat this food. If FDA would help to develop those things, which are called biomarkers, they're indicators of something going right or something going wrong, FDA could develop them or they could basically go out and test them to make sure they're working, the other ones. That would be a tremendous help in order to move these products to market. Uh, I wish they would focus on that rather than you know spending years and causing companies to spend millions of dollars just to get them
0: cleared. That's one way that the FDA could be looking forward. What are some other ways that uh, you say that they're sort of a backward looking organization, but what what are some other ways that they might look forward in terms of uh, enhancing uh, the marketplace's ability to deliver things that people want?
1: So one of the things that I think has to happen is we spent all of this time, the last 115 years, trying to uh, make the foods that are given to us safe, right? And by doing that, we're trying to guess what manu- what goes wrong in a manufacturing plant. Rather than doing that, why not enhance the foods that are being developed for us and the new products that are being developed? Uh, an example are the foods like the Impossible Burger and Beyond Meat, which people call fake meat. I get that. They're grown in laboratories. However, uh, they are safe. Uh, they don't have zoonotic disease. They can be made much more nutritious. They use much less water and land and so forth. Ultimately, those kinds of technologies, particularly precision fermentation, which is used to make uh, uh, rennet and cheese and the Impossible Burger, you can make any food you can even imagine with that technology. And I think right there, you're already talking about now all of these regulations and stuff going away. You can actually make food safe. Why not? Focus on those. I, I understand it's going to take a lot of time for people to come to accept those foods, but I believe it will happen. Particularly, I think the younger generation is much more accepting of those
0: new technologies than perhaps people my age. Tell me about use-by dates, sell-by dates, and the uh, time-based uh, expectations that uh, the FDA requires on foods that are sold in stores.
1: Yeah, those aren't really about safety, and people are throwing a lot of food out. We waste like 42% of the food we produce. They're really about the quality of the food, so it may be time to throw, throw it away. It may not be. Right now, manufacturers are developing something called smart packaging. It uses nanotechnology, and it senses when the food becomes contaminated and alerts you to the fact that the food is contaminated. Or in some cases, it would use a slight amount of antibiotics and actually fix the food.
0: Richard Williams is author of Fixing Food, an FDA insider unravels the myths and solutions we spoke this week. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.